0: All right, all right. Welcome to another great episode of the Great Heavy Music Podcast. With me today, special guest, Steve Mary of the amazing Australian progressive death metal band, Bellacore. Steve, thank you so much for joining me.
1: Thank you very much for having me. It's good to be here.
0: All the way from Tomorrowland. It's Saturday where I am and it's Sunday where you are. So I'm speaking into the future, which I think is pretty damn cool. What's it like in the future?
1: Uh, there's some stuff going on that I can't tell you about. You probably don't want to know until it
0: happens, so I'll, I'll keep it secret. <laughs> hey, if you can, if you can go back in time and protect us, that would be wonderful. I'll send the message, okay? So, and uh, yeah, we, if
1: there's anything really bad, I'll warn you. Um, at the moment, it's just a bit scary.
0: Okay, all right. So, no nuclear fallout, nothing crazy like that. Not yeah. All right. Well, underneath, for the benefit of our listeners, I'm going to play some of your guys' outstanding metal here, and I uh, thank you so much for your time and. Have a a bunch of questions for you because you've been a band that's been around since 2004 so you're basically on your 20th anniversary what does that feel like is that shocking to you
1: yes it is actually a little bit when you put it that way um because it's i think it's only been our first album was 2007 which is still a fair while ago but yeah we did actually start jamming and writing probably 04 late 04 so yeah it's been a journey and probably has gone fairly quickly i am saying, on balance it's, it's gone quicker than we expected.
0: Because this is an audio format only I'll tell my listeners that you're a young man so you must have started as a really young pup when this band was first formed huh? Were you like in high school?
1: Yeah well not quite I, I mean, maybe I'm not quite as young as you might think I'm not sure but um <laughs> we were all about 20 when we started the band um I'm the oldest guy in the band as well but only by a couple of months um But yeah, we started sort of a year or two after high school, and it's been um, a good sort of friendship ever since.
0: And was that because you guys knew each other from high school? Did you meet each other in university? How did it kind of come together?
1: I think it, it was a funny one where I knew John at high school, and we actually were in a band in high school that was playing sort of punk music. We were a punk band before we were a metal band, but not the whole sort of same lineup. Um, George was in that band as well, so he funnily like he never really liked punk music but he was in the punk band with John and I and he would just spend every day we hung out after practice trying to get us to like metal instead of punk. Um, <laughs> awesome, eventually when awesome. the punk, yeah, he was the guy that was like telling us that the, um, giving us the wisdom about what actually good music is. And so when the punk band disbanded, we had a, probably six months of not knowing what we were doing, but he just kept saying, we, you know, let's do metal. Um, and it turned out that John and George also knew each other as well through like a sport connection. So there was, a, there was some friendships there prior to us being a band. And then Sean lived across the road from George, so again, um, quite a lot of sort of nice coincidences that helped us become a group.
0: And I would imagine you couldn't have thought at the time that you guys would reach 20 years together and all these albums and all the touring and really a tremendous level of success.
1: Yeah, we didn't really have a plan like that at all. We just wanted to make an album or make right songs and didn't particularly know where that would lead. And because it's metal, you can't bank on... Um, I don't think metal as a genre is... is a, most bands don't go into the genre seeking a kind of a, a success path, I don't think. It's more the music is always the first thing.
0: Oh, there's no question about that. It's not certainly not the most commercially viable and financially yeah. lucrative arrangement you could have. So I- I'm curious before we go on though, were you a pianist and keyboard player in the punk band?
1: No, I was the drummer. Oh,
0: okay. All right. So you're multi, you're sticking with percussion, but now using the key- the uh, piano.
1: Exactly. But I wasn't a great drummer. So I think we all knew that when we became a metal band, I was not going to be likely to be the, the suitable sort of skills you'd, you'd need for that. And I also wrote a fair bit of music in the punk band and, being a songwriter, it just sort of made sense to transition onto a melodic uh, instrument at, at that
0: time. Well, I'm curious where the keyboard influence, kind of, where that idea came from, because if I had to guess, I would think it's kind of like an Opeth style. The keyboard influence in your music is very different than the Finnish style of mm. Children of Bodom and Kalma, and, you know, that is very different than what you guys have in yours. What was the progenitor of that to, to mix that into the metal
1: I think you're probably right I think a band like mypath is a good guiding sort of light for us in terms of the the, ta- the tasteful approach we want to take so we don't we never really want it to be too cheesy and when we go back to listen to our first album there's probably some moments that we would call slightly cheesy um, but I, we when it comes to using the keyboard I try to avoid layers of huge symphonic, what I would feel is slightly cheesy, which I'm not saying you know, other bands shouldn't do it, but for us, we, we avoid that a little bit. And I prefer tasteful, somber use of the keyboard where I can, I guess.
0: Well, Mike, I have twin 12-year-olds and they would call that cringe. You know, whatever's, <laughs> geez, whatever's yeah. cheesy nowadays is called cringe. Okay, yeah. so generally speaking, I know this is a ridiculous question, but generally speaking, what has the ride been like for the last 20 years? Has it been on the net? fun has it been on the net disappointing has it been on the net amazing like how would you describe it in one word and then explain that
1: uh surprising and maybe humbling um and i think there was a rapid there was probably a little period of rapid growth from sort of 2007 to 2011 12 time when we released you know three albums in six years and two of them were sort of really well received and there was a surprising jump in how much people knew about us at that time which was extremely exciting. Um, and since then, it's been more of a steady growth, a, a build. You know, I don't think there's been that next wave of explosive growth, which we don't think there probably ever will be at this point. It's more just um, enjoying being in a band with your friends and still being able to make albums together that people wanna hear is always a good feeling. Um, and I enjoy writing music you know, a great deal. So I don't see any reason why we should stop doing that at the moment. Um, But yeah, it's been a really enjoyable ride with lots of cool surprises along the way.
0: And when you say you don't see any reason why you should change or stop, you know, that's one of the things I wanted to mention and ask you about is a lot of bands we've interviewed over the years um, have described, you know, the difficulty in maintaining a stable lineup. There's a lot of pieces coming and going and a lot of changing, but you guys have really enjoyed some longevity. 20 years of basically everybody the same, except I think you had a drummer change at one point. That's kind of unheard of. What do you attribute that success and that, and that stickiness of your band to?
1: Probably the friendships, if we're being honest. I think once you... If you're sort of friends first, which we are in, in as a general rule, I think whenever something hard comes up or someone's sick or someone can't do a tour or someone needs a break, you will prioritize that because you're friends and there's no reason to sort of... Um, Kick them out of the band or anything like that for that reason. If you're flexible and patient and kind of have a long-term view of things, so that would be, I'd say, the main reason why the band has not needed to change members. We get on really well, um, we enjoy working together, and we're prepared to be patient if that needs to be done. And it means you can really, I guess, last um, you know quite a while if you take out a coach.
0: Right, that's awesome. I would,
2: I would just kick them right out. I would just kick them right out. <laughs> First problem. <laughs>
0: Hey Phil, I wanted to ask you actually, from like Steve's first answer, to the first question I asked him, were you surprised by that?
2: I was uh, very surprised.
0: I thought um, you would be. I thought you would be. It was really startling I'm when he not... said, "Yeah,
2: yep." I I think he said something along the lines of, "Australia is better than America." I don't, I don't know. I wasn't paying attention. I just kind of something, and I, I just <laughs> made, I was so offended. No, I'm just kidding.
0: <laughs> Right. Okay, um, so, so Phil, do you have any questions for Steve?
2: Yeah, I, um, so you guys, I saw in the previous interview with, um, I was reading a couple of yours, and it said that you don't really change your writing process that much. Um, like in terms of someone will create a riff and then you guys will add to it and all that. But, um, if you, I don't know how, if you've changed members at all, but if you have had to do that, is that hard to incorporate them into your songwriting process? Or, I mean, is it just sort of an organic thing? Or how, how exactly did that come to be, and how have you been able to maintain that?
1: Um, I think we're all sort of slightly, like I feel like I work my best music sort of stuff in my own time, and I'd say a few of us feel that way. So it's natural probably as a musician to write some riffs in your own time and build up a bank of ideas and then because we are somewhat busy now and most of the guys have, have, we've all got jobs and three of us have got young children. Um, we have less time to meet. And when you do meet, you need to be ready with some ideas, I guess. So the approach we've used has always remained probably the best approach, which is come with ideas, come with a system for testing out those ideas and, um, then go away and build them in your own time and come back and repeat that process. Um, technology, we're probably a little bit behind the game in terms of our use of technology as well. Like I think some bands are yeah. using a lot more, um, I'm using software that's like 30 years old, 40 years old to actually write riffs. And I enjoy it cause I know it and it's a bit unusual. And it helps us probably write riffs that are a little bit unusual sometimes as opposed to using just MIDI or um, playing only on instruments. But yeah, we, we stick with what we know and it works for us, which we like.
2: Yeah, I mean, don't, if it ain't broke,
1: don't fix it, right? Kind of thing, you know? Exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Awesome. I know Phil and I were both shocked when we interviewed John uh, Yellen from Judicator, who said the band never gets physically together. They do it all, they kind of transfer the music amongst themselves, and then they send him like this finished package, and then he sings on it. And I just think that was like yeah. totally shocking to me. Um, yeah, and that's, yeah.
1: that's something we haven't done as much of, where we probably could. We could do more remote work we could do more um everyone programs their ideas in but some of us just don't like to work that way so i think it's usually george and i will do a bit of a riff writing initially and then we meet up and it it is actually helpful to meet up five people in a room and flesh it out and have discussions and um try the riffs together and i think that still works for us and it might be slightly old school to do it that way but it really feels helpful to us to do it that way
0: well i'm curious you said that a few moments ago, you said that John was the one who who is the bassist who was trying to get you guys to change from a punk band to a metal band, but George has got like just the greatest metal growl ever. When you first heard that, did you think, well, I guess we could be a metal grand band if he sounds like this guy? I mean, or did he have to develop that?
2: Yeah, it yeah was most actually... brutal punk band ever? Sorry. <laughs> yeah,
0: no. George was
1: the guy that was um, he was trying to get us over to metal. So John and I were punk heads. Oh, at the okay. Time and um George was our guitarist in the punk band and he wasn't the vocalist he was just the guitarist so we had never really heard him growl at that point um and I remember driving somewhere with him he was driving us around and some metal was playing in his car and I think he started growling he was doing some growling to that and we realized pretty quickly he could do that pretty well uh, without it was sort of natural like I don't think he'd spent a lot of time trying to develop it at that point So yeah, once we were a metal band, it was very quickly suggested that he might be the guy to to do vocals, and yeah, it's worked out well, I reckon.
0: I'd say. I mean, it's like, that's a skill that when you find that, man, you capture that in a bottle.
1: Yeah. Yeah, he's very good. And I think he's a little bit distinctive. Like, I I feel that he's got a distinctive voice, and I feel that it's quite clear. You can hear, I can hear the lyrics as part of what he's doing, which
0: I like absolutely and the ladies like yep. that too the ladies love the clean growls because you can understand it you know and <laughs> we all know you like to meet the ladies at the shows buddy. it doesn't hurt to see some pretty ladies out there hey uh well, and
2: uh also i was gonna say it, it eliminates that criticism with like i can't understand i like no you can understand it you just don't like it that way you sounds,
0: right but right. you can understand it
2: just fine
1: although having said that most normal people like normies that we talk to still claim that they can't understand it so bullshit. i think bullshit uh, yeah.
0: Normies are gross, Normies are gross. <laughs> yeah. So, Steve, I'd love to know too, a double question here. What's your favorite album or the album you're most proud of from the band? And then your sec- my second question is, what's your favorite song from any of the albums to play live as the keyboardist?
1: Hmm, um, it's a very hard question. Probably Stones Reach is my nostalgic personal favorite. Like, I think Hell yeah. I like the album. Um, yeah, yep. And it reminds me of a time in my life as well. You know, it reminds me of how I felt then. And it was probably the album when we first saw some growth in our fan base and that you have good feelings for that reason as well. I still really like the music on the album, um, but I don't, I really can't separate probably from it. if I look at it objectively, I think it's harder to say what my, what the best album is. Uh, and in terms of a song, um, The Smoke of Many Fires, I would say, is, is almost the most fun to play live. Um, as soon as that song starts, people seem to be pretty excited, and there's a long build-up to quite a climactic section, probably six minutes in, which seems to be really high-energy live. So that's probably, I would say, my favorite.
0: Yeah, and, that, and that's an amazing song off of Vessels, for those of you who are listening. Uh, but From Scythe to Scepter has a really incredible piano part, really pr- pronounced off of Stone's Reach, and that's one of, uh, probably my favorite song of your band's. Uh, What did you think of that in terms of that song as it developed and as you were writing it? Did you know that would really be a banger like from the beginning?
1: It's funny because when we were recording Stone's Reach, um, the chorus of From Side to Scepter just had a melody, didn't have a harmony yet. And we hadn't written the harmony for it. And I remember, I think I stepped out of the studio for half an hour or something. And I came back in and Sean had recorded the harmony. And I I can't recall how that was written or when that was written, but hearing that really excited me. And I remember saying to the guy recording the album with us, you know, I think this album could be pretty good. Like I was getting excited about what I was hearing. So yeah, writing the song itself was just, from memory, we were were working really quickly at that time. We were, a lot of riffs were coming to us. We were meeting more often than we do now because we weren't quite as busy. And yeah, the album didn't seem hard to write. My memory isn't that it was hard. I'm sure there were hard moments and stuff, there always are, but music was really flowing at that time. So yeah, it happened fairly quickly, and then uh, we were excited with the product when it was finished. We thought, okay, this could actually be something people want to really listen to.
0: Nice. Well, the format of our show is... We recommend, it's, it's a great heavy music podcast, naturally, and we recommend all post-2000 releases because there's been so much wonderful metal in the last 24 years. And everybody talks about the old stuff, but we want to promote the good new stuff to youngsters out there because mm-hmm. if you guys had your first album in 2007, there's people that are out you know almost old enough mm-hmm. to drink beer now who, who could listen to your your first album, and they don't know about it. So we're trying to promote these yeah. newer albums, and I gave Phil Stone's Reach to listen to, And he reviewed it and he loved it and it was just a really great opportunity to expose him to how great your band is so tell me what's on the horizon for you guys now you're 20 years in you're busy you got wives and kids and jobs and you're trying to keep it together and grow but not lose it so what's on the horizon what what can we expect from you guys
1: we i'm about to go off after this interview and do some songwriting with george so we're working on um the sixth album which will take a little while still but we've got 40-something riffs written, um, and they're in a little spreadsheet that I George thinks I'm silly for keeping a spreadsheet, but they're sort of, you know, classified and um, ranked and what time signature are they in and all those sorts of things. Um, so, yeah, we're working on a new album, and then we are planning a US-Canada tour, probably not 2024, it would be 2025, but it's being planned and booked so it is happening um we think it'll be happening so yeah that's really exciting
0: well phil lives in pennsylvania i live in florida so skip over pennsylvania don't bother with it and, cu- and come <laughs> yeah, down to florida a dump <laughs>
2: now, if, you, if you go to florida i will go to florida
0: yeah go, buddy go
2: a little place called naples I'm not sure if that's on your radar
0: <laughs> i doubt it maybe tampa or miami if they're in tampa or miami i'm going <laughs>
2: those work yeah
0: so you got another yeah. album coming out a sixth album and then you know kind of a, a tour across the the world here how does that work with your jobs and your spouses and your kids you just kind of have to pack it up and leave it all behind for three months six months
1: well this is the thing so we won't be able to do a a super long tour and we never have done one um i think the recent european tour was 20 days and that for us was a long tour we were like wow Look at us—we're really hardworking musicians now. <laughs> um, so the US tour will probably be three weeks, if I had to guess, oh and my. we'll probably get—we'll probably get to two or three cities in Canada and twelve or so in America, and we will do our best, absolute best, to get to the most, I guess, to a good spread and to do both coasts. Um, and we're looking at Spotify data and other data to say, well, where are our listeners and where which places should we prioritize? But my apologies in advance if we can't get within a couple of hundred kilometers of you and if you need to travel 300 Ks or something. like, It's a bit weird because we travel 15,000 kilometers to go to Europe, as an example, and you'll get people complaining that they can't travel 200 kilometers <laughs> to see us because we're not quite in their city. Um, but yeah, we'll do the best we can.
0: <laughs> I'm curious since you, yeah. men- since you mentioned it, Steve. I'm curious, what does the Spotify data show? Like, where are your most prominent listenership? What's the spread, even globally?
1: Yeah, I think we have a big listenership in Turkey, Get Istanbul, uh, Mexico mm-hmm. City ranks very highly. Uh, Melbourne wow. and Sydney, yeah, Melbourne and Sydney are high because we're from Australia. London is high. Um, From memory, obviously, there's some big U.S. cities. I can't recall the order, but, um, you know, it's heavily filled up with U.S. cities. The top 20 or top 30 is over half of them, I think, are U.S. and Canada. We were surprised how many in Canada were high. I think, yeah, two or three of the top six were in Canada, surprisingly. So um, Hmm. it made us aware that we definitely have to include Canada in in the tour when we do go.
0: So, Steve, one of our big focuses is to promote great albums to younger listeners, because Phil and I have been friends since we were 14 years old farting around listening to metal in my you know pickup truck with a cd player and you know if there's some kid that we can expose them to new metal and new music it's a job well done as far as i'm concerned so what's if you could recommend to some youngsters out there what's like uh three pieces of advice you might give two or three pieces of advice you might want to give them if they're starting a band if they're you know thinking about you know getting into music or they're picking up an instrument what would you tell them being real with them
1: The first one would be, it's highly unlikely to be a giant source of income, either soon or ever. So you do hear, especially if they're going into metal, like, but any sort of musician, and I would say this applies to any artist. So I I do get surprised when people saying, you know, I'm a musician and therefore I'm poor. I think you need to have a job or you need to have other interests and other ways of earning money as well, and be a musician on top of it. Um, so my advice would be persist and, and work really hard but make it a productive side business rather than banking your entire life on it being your income because that's extremely hard um, and do it do the things you enjoy do it because you enjoy it um, and that's almost doesn't need to be said in metal it might need to be said outside but I think in metal people only do it because they enjoy it and they they love the music um, and yeah try to find people you get on well with and then take the time to really genuinely kind of invest in them like in each other not just if if, when when you see a band that put the band ahead of everything else it will crumble i think it'll fall apart so you need to kind of put each other as a a priority as well as as the music i think
0: but at on the whole would you recommend it like if you if you had a kid and he said hey i want to go play guitar or i want to be a soccer player and i want to be equally both would you say you know music's a wonderful thing and you've had great experiences or Flip a coin.
1: I'd say definitely do it if you want to do it. I think if that, for example, that kid was choosing between two things and they couldn't choose, then that might be hard. But if they had a leaning towards music, I wouldn't be discouraging them from that. I think, yeah, it's a great thing to do. Um, We do think there's less bands around. It seems that young people at the moment, there's just less people using actual instruments and more people like composing on Um, like being a DJ or writing, like producing music without a drum kit and a guitar. But yeah, it's probably even more reason to give it a go if you can, if you're up for it.
0: Now, tied into that, Steve, I'm curious what your best, two questions again, what your best show you've ever been to as a guest or member of the audience, and what's your favorite metal memory from being on stage if you have one?
1: Mm -hmm. I'll probably go, I'll answer the second question first. So in Finland, in August last year, we played, so we had never been to Finland, and we played at the Dark River Festival, I think it was called. And that was probably my favorite gig because we didn't know what to expect. We'd never been there. It was this sort of twilight time slot. I think we were playing at seven o'clock in summer or something like that. So they had this beautiful twilight feeling, and there's like a forest around the festival. And the the festival had like an MC who spoke in Finnish and we've never done a gig with an MC that like introduces the band. But he spoke in Finnish, we didn't know what he was saying, but he went for like two minutes and he sort of hyped the crowd up and the only word we recognised was the band name. Um, And then, yeah, the crowd was just extremely enthusiastic and like some of them had been waiting 10, 15 years. And even during soundcheck, there was this sort of couple of people up the front that was just getting excited every time any little riff was played for three seconds in soundcheck so yeah there's a lot of enthusiasm and we felt that and we got kind of right in with that mood so for me that was probably my favorite gig ever nice and then yeah gigs that we've been to or that i've been to probably being in a band has damaged my experience of gigs to be honest like all my favorite gigs as a fan were before i was really in a band um why is that you know, when i was seven uh many reasons like i think when you're in a band you you worry about your hearing and you're always wearing earplugs, so. I don't go to gigs as a fan without earplugs these days, which reduces the fun honestly a little bit. (laughs) Um, But yeah, when you're 17 and you're going to see a band that you've never, that you're kind of so excited to see, and and you're not really jaded about gigs or what happens behind the scenes at gigs or how the musicians are probably feeling or anything like that, you're just in the in the moment. So I'd say my those were my favourite gigs. Whereas later years, I've been more like having trouble fully immersing myself. Cause i'm analyzing things i'm looking for what works and what doesn't work and not quite losing myself as much
0: sure so what would you say was one of your favorites when you were a younger man so 16 well, 17. i'm gonna
1: i'm gonna embarrass myself now but i went to see a swedish punk band called millen column um oh, i like that's
2: cool i like them sorry yeah, I, they're, cool. they're a good band don't yeah, be embarrassed that's a, good band. That's a, that's a legit yeah. band.
1: But yeah, I think I was 16, it was like an underage show, you know, like at three o'clock in the afternoon or something. And just the, the excitement at that age to see a band from overseas that you love, um, one of your first gigs you go to type thing, um, probably would be my top, one of my top ones.
0: On the, on the other side, what's your worst or most embarrassing stage memory? Have you ever had like your piano just stop working in the middle of a set or you, you know, barf the on yourself? The worst for
1: me, Yeah, the worst for me was we supported at the gates in Melbourne maybe 10 years ago and my keyboard just wouldn't work like it. We did um, a line check when we're about to begin and there was just nothing. So it took about five minutes of problem solving and you know the crowd's just standing around waiting and um, you feel like you're holding up, people just want to see at the gates. We We weren't a very established band at that time but we... I was pretty stressed because I didn't know what was causing it, and you, you can't quite um, hear the sound guy. You can't, you don't quite know whether the problem's even at your end or out there in the front of house. So that would be my most probably unpleasant moment at a gig. Um, but if that's your worst story, then you've had a good run. Like that's not that bad. So.
0: So you got it to um, work.
1: Yeah, uh, eventually well. it got to got going. Um, so it was a minor thing, and that's why it's probably I can't complain too much about it.
0: Five minutes in front of a thousand people probably feels like five hundred years.
1: Yeah, it was, and at the time we were so probably less experienced as well, and you know you you don't want that to happen when you're supporting an international band and those sorts of things. So yeah, it wasn't wasn't much fun.
0: Phil, do you have anything? I have a few more, but I didn't want to hog it here.
2: Oh no, I just I was I was curious about how did, did at the gates? Did they say anything to you guys about that, or was it just like yeah, whatever? Once you fix it, it kind of just got forgotten about.
1: My memory is that we didn't even get to meet them. I don't even know if we got to talk to them. Um, oh, wow. So, I, you know, oh. that's not uncommon, but...
2: Oh, okay.
1: Yeah. Whereas we've played other ones where you do, but I think at that gig, we were just early, early and they were somewhere and we played and we didn't see them and those sorts of things. So I don't really remember what happened. Oh, well, no, I guess I didn't say anything.
2: Yeah, <laughs> that's crazy though. That. Yeah. I would have assumed you guys would have met them, I guess.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't always happen. It depends a little bit on each band and how the night unfolds a little bit with timing. Right.
0: We saw them at the gates at the 70,000 tons of metal cruise a few years back, and there was a pretty raucous pit for that show. And I'm curious, what's your crowd usually like? I would imagine you guys as a heavy crowd surfing band, but not necessarily a mosh pitting band. Is that accurate?
1: Yeah, it's we. There's a big difference. Like in Australia, lately we've been surprised. There are some people. It's a slightly more there's more movement in the the actual pit and there's like some crowd surfing. And that doesn't seem to happen as much like in Europe, it's more head banging and clapping and some people singing like the big melodies, which is really, really fun. We love that. That's a sort of a new development that we have been surprised by, but in Australia there's a little bit more kind of maybe energy and I don't know, different vibe, but um, we're definitely not a, a kind of pit violence band or a I want to see a wall here, band, or anything like that. We're we're not going to make that approach.
0: You're not parting the seas and having everybody run into the middle. (laughs) No. Okay, so uh, I'm curious, you know, you've been around long enough now that you've inspired, like, a spinoff, and I'm sure you're aware of this, but your song Countless Skies spun off a band, Countless Skies, that we have also interviewed historically, and they were great guys. Uh, what do you think about that? I mean, that's got to be pretty humbling.
1: It's awesome, yeah. we. I remember they reached out to us, you know, when they were starting and just checked if they could do that, and we said, of course, that's no problem. Um, and then you, we didn't hear probably for a couple of years until they released, I think maybe it was an album or an EP and then an album, and it was re- really re- well-received and it was good music, and since then they've gone and done really well, so it's been exciting. And we've have been to the UK we've met them Uh, or maybe we met them once in Europe and once in the UK we we caught up with them recently when we went to London Um, so yeah they're they're good guys definitely and I think there might be at least sometimes a female member of the band that I'm not sure she's full-time member but yeah they're they're all good people
0: yeah it was awesome to interview them and and Glow was one of Phil's favorite albums from a few years back and definitely they've been getting better and better I'm curious Steve I don't want to spend a ton of time on it but Did COVID really impact you guys as a band or not really?
1: It just slowed us down. We were in the middle of recording. We were basically just starting recording Coherence at that time. And we just had to pause for three months and then pause for a month and then pause. And it just slowed it all down. Um, We were lucky because we, we had finished doing all that meeting up to write the music. I think that just got done and then COVID came. So it didn't really stop us making the music it just stopped us recording it for a few months um and we had no sort of touring going on at that time so it wasn't too bad and then I guess when we released it we did wait a long time to tour we couldn't quite tour the album as you would we had to wait nearly a year I think before we did the Australian tour for that album
0: that had to be a drag
1: a little bit a little bit it's probably slowed down the momentum a little bit on that album but not heaps because we're not one of those bands that relies completely on touring to do our thing
0: Do you know offhand how many, like what's the number one most downloaded song and how many millions of listens there have been?
1: I know on Spotify, Abeyance is the top song and by a long way, actually. Like I think it's um, nearly double or heading towards double every other song. So it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy where on things like Spotify, when Abeyance or a song gets big, it gets on more playlists and then... It, it just grows from that but uh, i think it's sort of five or six million streams on spotify maybe somewhere around there
0: that's amazing man to have created something that five or six million times has been consumed that's amazing millions is just so if you really think about it that's an extraordinary number
1: it's it's really cool it's and and we know that like um yeah it's the sort of thing that we hadn't ever planned or thought about it just when it happens it's a really nice surprise but um we're still chasing down bieber's you know one billion type number. We don't know if we'll get there, but uh, we'll see.
0: Hey, that's cool. in the In the business world, that's called a b hag, a big, hairy, audacious goal. Your b hag. I like it. Is a billion. I love it. I hope you guys hit it. I like it. it. We're there's gonna, no way we you have have just it. make
2: that up.
1: I'm
2: yeah. Sorry. I said there's no. <laughs> that's awesome, man. You sh- you'll get that one
1: day. Well, I don't know that we will, unless we release a pop album. That's our best shot.
0: <laughs> you just need to do a collaboration with the Rasmus or something.
1: Yeah, we'll get the weekend to do a couple of guest vocals on the next one.
0: Yeah, there you go. So is there anything you want us to plug or to promote or put in your show notes for this episode? Is there a particular website you want your fans to go to or people who are being introduced to you? Where should people go to follow you, subscribe so they get updates and buy your stuff? Where would you send them?
1: Um, Look, if people go to, uh, let me just get this right, com. I think that's what I want people to go to um you know there's a newsletter they can sign up to and that's extremely old school it shows how old we are but hey there's a good number of newsletters
0: newsletters work man they definitely work i think it's a good idea in fact
1: yeah so join the newsletter follow us on instagram we love it when people use the streaming platforms i think there's a reputation that they have that's negative the bands are kind of getting ripped off when people listen on spotify but for us, if you're using Apple Music or Spotify or any of the streaming platforms, you are helping us. Um, it is meaningful, like the money, that we, if you have people using those services, there is some income for bands and that is great and we don't wanna discourage people from doing that. So um, yeah, those would be some things people can do and be patient and we will get ourselves over to America and it will be awesome because we've never done that before.
0: All right, it'll be a long trip but hopefully it be well worth it and we have a pretty energetic crowd most of the time over here. And so, well, yeah. one more time for that website to make sure. Uh, BellacorBand.com. BellacorBand.com. Okay, great. We'll link that. And then I guess the last thing I have for you, Steve, is if you could recommend to our younger listeners two albums that really shaped you in the metal space. Because I know you were a punk band and mm. you, you, you said you kind of were a late bloomer into metal because of George's push. But since that time, I'm sure you've listened to some or really fallen in love with some what would you recommend if you had to pick one or two to say and they can be obscure that nobody's ever heard of they can be very prominent what would you recommend
1: i'll go with like a classic i mean the the album in the band that we talk about probably the most is morning rise by opeth um it's the it's the album that we all loved when we were starting as a band basically and um it's not conventionally, like some people might say, the song is not conventionally great because it's, it's very unstructured. It just kind of goes in from A to B to C. It never re- really returns to a riff. There's no choruses. It's extremely riff-packed and like a journey, which we like, and our songs are a little bit like that. Um, so yeah, Morning Rise by pet would be a big one. There's an album by a band that I love that is a little bit more obscure. They're a British band. Um, the band is called A Forest of Stars. Um, and the album is called Where the Sword You Cannot See and I reckon it's one of the best I think it's now probably 8 years old but it's one of the best albums I've heard in a long time in terms of just music being it's, there is so much depth in that album musically so I, I would recommend that to anyone who wants kind of a bit of a different um,
0: I don't have slightly it.
1: less well known band
0: I don't have it in front of me so one more time, A Forest of Stars is the name of the band And did you say the album title is Aware the Swords You Cannot See?
1: Uh, Beware the Sword You Cannot See.
0: Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Well, I appreciate that. And I'm going to check that out because every time I ask, oh, I know this band, they have that giant... uh, I, I love this album. It's from 2015. It has that giant like snake thing on the front with that flaming face in the middle. This is a great album. Yeah, it's awesome. Tons of good songs on there. Great call. Great call. Okay, awesome. Phil, do you have anything else for our wonderful, talented guest here, or should we let him go on his merry way?
2: I just wanted to say you guys are excellent. You kick a lot of ass, and reviewing your album on this podcast was one of my favorite episodes. So thank you for coming on and
0: talking to us.
1: No, thank you. It's really appreciated. I said earlier, um, yeah, we really do appreciate the support. So thank you so much for the chat.
0: And we're going to do our best to somehow manage to get you guys to come over for the 70,000 tons of metal cruise. One of these years, we want to (laughs) mosh on the pool deck while you guys are crushing it. That would be so fun.
1: Yeah, I would like to. I think the funny thing as well with that is we are not, um, even though we're from Australia, we are not sun loving people, generally. (laughs) So we're going to be hiding away somewhere in a shaded little corner. not we're not going to be next to a beat uh, a pool or something like that but yeah it'd be funny
0: yeah there's a hell of a lot of sunburn on that boat every year that's for sure so you uh, I was gonna, yeah we'll get you a sombrero yeah. and a sun shirt and you'll be just fine made <laughs> right. it, steve thanks again give our thanks to the band and we wish you all the very best and with that this is another episode of the great heavy music podcast see you later